Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome an old friend of mine to the Unimpressed podcast today, Mr. Bart Baggett. And I'm unimpressed that I haven't had Bart on my show until now, knowing him since 2007. Welcome to the show, Mr. Bart Baggett. It's been way too long since we hung out. Hey, we, uh, we had some good times in Hollywood making movies years ago. I know. I was thinking about the one thing, uh, Rafonso Rivera was on the downturn of his career, and we were in Glendale at the Young and the Restless Actors House, and Rafonso was in the back. He was a little bigger back then, and uh, that was an interesting time, and now he's he's got his career back, and he's uh, on top of his game again, but that's, that's how long it's been. Wow, it's been a while. Yeah, I mean, I guess I got to L.A. in 2003. Uh, we used to hang out. I had that big house in Hollywood Hills overlooking the city. And, uh, man, we had some good time. We, we took business meetings there. Like we would have Hollywood business meetings by the pool and people would just show up. You're like, is this where I go for the assistant job? I'm like, come on back by the pool. <laughs> it was insane. <laughs> this is no yeah. reason to do way to do business that way. <laughs> well, at that time you were riding high with your, your handwriting business. And you're one of the number one handwriting specialists in the country as far as forensics and examining documents. You know, tell us a little bit about that and how that, where that came from. Yeah, you know, it's always been my day job. You know, since I was about 23, I wrote a book about handwriting analysis and that kind of put me on TV and radio shows. But simultaneously, I had been trained as a forensic handwriting expert to spot forgeries. And so attorneys would hire me. People would hire me with probate cases. And so it was always like not a secret, but, you know, it was like that was my day job. And even still, we've got offices in four cities now, and we do we do quite a bit of revenue with our forensic company. It's like CSI Miami, but without the hot models, without the neon lights everywhere. It's a lot of handwriting, a lot of court testimony. Um, and it's always been sort of uh, something that I love to do. Uh, we, we've cut a couple of TV pilots about it that didn't get picked up. We have one now in progress, uh, but I can't tell you about the, the network and stuff. So it's always been my claim to fame, but I've always had one foot in Hollywood and acting and stand-up comedy and all the creative pursuits. But instead of a waiter, I'm a handwriting expert. <laughs> That's kind of a nice. big job. Well, that, and that kind of supported you. I mean, and you got that from your father, right? No, no. We actually trained separately. I mean, he he was interested in it. He introduced me to my mentor. And he's still, he's 84. He's still analyzing handwriting. He's still going to court, really healthy. Uh, it's a good relationship. I always thought you had a big personality and you were always funny. I mean, what is going through your head? Do you think you have some type of uh, tapping into the spiritual world to be able to recognize that? I mean, is there something natural there? What is that? Where does that, what, how are you able to do that? Some kind of disorder to be funny and irreverent <laughs> and, and inappropriate. I would have to give credit to both my parents. My mom is hilarious and she's inappropriate. She has no filter. And my father just literally is, is uh, he, he's always cracking a joke. And he, he used to tell the story like, hey, whatever I say out of my mouth the first time, it's probably not true. I'm trying to be funny. But if you don't get a laugh, then he doubles down and tries to make another laugh. And so I think my whole family is a bunch of, of cracksters as far as comedy. And that's what helped me early in the career because handwriting analysis in itself is a boring topic because it's personality, it's personality test. But because I was funny 
and I can make playfulness about personality traits, the morning show host kept inviting me back. So, you know, the Howard Stearns and the Rick D's and, and the Kid Craddocks of the world, they would say, come back, you know, Jeff and Jay, they come back. So I come back every year and I would do this handwriting thing, which is inherently not that interesting. But if you're funny and you say, oh, you write like a epileptic chicken or, you know, you've got a, an excessive masturbation problem or whatever it is, is picking on people. They're like, oh, this guy's great. So I think I think that's kind of how I was end up doing doing entertainment slash self-help, um, even in when I was in my early 20s. And which I think that's one reason Tony Robbins got so famous. I don't know if you've ever seen Tony Robbins live, but the man's uh -huh. hilarious. He's very uh -huh. entertaining. He's very funny and he gives helpful advice. And so I thought that was one of my models. If I'm going to write self-help books, I better be entertaining so you can hold their attention. Well, after a lot of opportunities, a lot of visibility in Hollywood, and in entertainment period, what have you narrowed your passion down to at this point in your career? You know, at this point, I, I love entertaining. Uh, so we did a short film a couple of years ago and it, it got a lot of the festivals. We had Best Comedy and I basically wrote the script and it was just a satire. It was a satire on cults. It was a satire on uh, religion. It was, it was satire. And so I've always found that to me, levity and humor is, is just the way that you, that I want to live. And so I've always, done my best to help people, meaning uh, like in my court, in my court world, being honest is essential. Like integrity for an expert witness is really the only thing you can market. So I'm always honest, but even my stand-up comedy, it's honest and it's true stories and it's entertaining. So I, I think I'll live the next 20 years of my life doing, doing, uh, helping people, doing uh, handwriting analysis as far as forensic, but also continue to write books and then do comedy. I think I can do comedy until I'm, you know, 70, 80 years old, you know? Yeah, comedy doesn't have an age, definitely. And um, it's weird that I had a run in comedy and still having a run in comedy and, and somewhat established a pretty strong position in the game. They let me in and I never knew that I would be in comedy at all. Um, but it's a very tough genre to break into and mm -hmm. we discovered a, a, a Southern comedian in Alabama and he became a variety's top 10 in 2018. And it was based on a, a social media model that I developed by discovery and didn't know what I was doing. So now to circle back with you after 2007, Right. And realize that, you know, realize that you've always been a character and you, you've, you're pursuing comedy now. And it's, it's just, I don't know. It's a very interesting um, scenario, if you will. Well, in 2007, I was doing shows at the comedy store, but, but I was never a headliner and I wasn't very good. I look at it now and I'm like, oh, I was doing the best I could because I had some teachers, some coaches. Um, but, you know, it wasn't like the brand was established. Like as far as a comedian or even an actor, you kind of have to figure out where your brand is. And at that time I didn't really know. And it was just a bunch of dirty jokes and I was trying to get laughs. And, and so I actually ended up, you know, doing a lot of performances at the comedy store, but, but, but not like big performances, but it was mm -hmm. hard. It was hard to get stage time. You had to know all the promoters. And it's interesting because in 2022, I find it easier. There's more open mics. There's more rooms you can rehearse. You, you, can, you can do Zoom stuff and get and get like rapid feedback from really good coaches. So I've just gotten better at it. And the last couple of years, it's been on my list. I've been performing every two or three weeks, whether it's in Texas or in Los Angeles or um, and, and getting my um, kind of getting my chops back. It takes a while when you get some time off. Like even though I'm good on stage, those jokes mm -hmm. are not in my brain. It, it's it's like a movie script. It's like a rehearsal. Like those people that have these TV, uh, Young and the Restless, where they go, they get a script the night before, and they go and they memorize all their lines. That's incredible to me. I, I don't think I can mm -hmm. do that. I don't have that kind of memory. To me, that's an incredible skill to have. Well, I think being a, a funny guy or a comedian, right, is how quick you turn a thought. 
And you've always been able to respond things very quickly. You turn thoughts very fast. Well, I think that is because I had done 1,500 morning radio shows. And morning mm-hmm. radio is, is a beautiful, a live, engaged sort of way. And most radio hosts, especially morning shows, they're really funny and they're witty. And so that kind of repartee is a special skill set. Maybe improvers have it, but comedians don't necessarily have that. Now, you've got people that can work the room, but a lot of comics, even um, like Jerry Seinfeld, they were very scripted. Meaning they rehearsed yep. it. They had word for word. George Carlin, he had memorized every word and every pause. And I don't really do that, but I do know that if I get too far off script during stand up, I got to get back to where the jokes are. Because with stand up, you have to have a joke like every other breath set up, punch, set up, punch, set up, punch. And the best, it just moves. It, it looks like a dance. And all of a sudden you're laughing in every 10, 15 seconds. And so you don't know how hard it is until you watch somebody bomb. <laughs> And then you realize well, this is hard. I think that's why my guy shot up very fast in comedy, just because he, he's the opposite, right? He can just turn thoughts 100 miles an hour. You know, just his mind is going so fast. It's almost, it's somewhat almost like a mental illness, you know? I mean, because if, if you think about Robin Williams, right? Uh-huh. Robin Williams could tell three different stories simultaneously and make all three stories, uh, you know, funny. So, and you wonder why the guy committed suicide because there's a lot of shit going on in his head. But that talent was a natural ability. And you're right. Uh, you know, there's different types of comedians that do have to prepare, do have to study. I've got an album of Robin Williams on my bookshelf there. Yeah, he's the kind of comedian that is just so amazing. It's it's frightening how talented that guy was. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, maybe if I'm in the zone, I can be clever like that, but I can't run and do voices and go back and be a Russian and be a, a German and, <laughs> and be, all my English accents really bad. Now, every time I do an English, they're like, that sounds Australian. And then the Australians go, stop doing that. You're, you're, you're making fun. Ah, sorry. So yeah, it's, that's a different skill set. You grew up in Texas, right? Yeah. Dallas, Texas, uh, high school in Plano. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We keep a lot of emotions bundled up inside in life, and sometimes we gotta talk to people. I witnessed the benefits with my own two eyes. I have a close friend that was struggling with depression and felt like she had no one she could consistently talk to because of her busy schedule. 
She was matched with a therapist through BetterHelp. After several months of sessions, I've seen a tremendous change in her personality and in her life. If you're needing therapy and and want to get some of those things off your chest, it's entirely online and designed to conveniently work around your schedule and empower you to be the best version of yourself. Just fill out a questionnaire and they will align you with the right therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash unimpressed today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash unimpressed. Big football, uh, football state. Like our, our high school won the state football championships. I wasn't a player, but it was fun. That's what we did on Friday night. You hung out. You drove a convertible Mustang around. You, you, you tried to meet women and you watch football games. That's kind of my high school. When you were growing up and you're in high school, did you always want to pursue something in entertainment? No, it's really interesting. I actually was I took a drama class at freshman and I was so shy um, I think I had one line in the school play and it was just, it was all I could do to get on stage to do it. So it didn't occur to me that I would ever be in front of the camera when I was younger. Um, I think what happened is I saw a guy named Tom Hopkins do a speech when I was 15 and I was like, oh, that's a cool job to sit in front of a thousand people and like mo- motivate them and talk. I think that was the most inspirational thing. I, I didn't know if I had any acting skill. I do remember when I auditioned for, uh, I think the thespians, um, I did, I did like a little stand up routine and then that was my introduction. But, and again, I was probably terrible. So, so I just, mm-hmm. I didn't know, like I actually thought I was going to be a businessman. I wanted to be wealthy. I wanted, I thought I wanted to write books. And because I had learned this handwriting analysis skill when I was 14, uh, and started to learn about the forensics and about personality, people opened up to me. It was sort of like uh, a psychology reading. And so people would just tell me their problems. And so I made friends very easily and people found it fascinating. And so if, we, if you have a secret skill, like if I could sell you a little box, John, and, and if yeah. I said, if you take this box anywhere you go, women will come up to you and they'll bring their friends over to you and their guy friends. You'd be like, I want to buy that yeah. box, man. What's in that box? Well, that yeah. box is a skill called handbrain houses. And my, I was at Father's Day with my dad at one of these steak restaurants, and he always does the handwriting analysis. I probably watched him do that with waitresses since I was, you know, 15 years old, 40, 15. Well, we literally had seven or 10 waitresses and the bartenders come hang out with us during the entire dinner. And two of them wow. gave me their phone number. And so if I, <laughs> so if I tell you that little box, you would like, I want to buy that. And so some people don't get like why it's interesting because it's accurate, it's fun, and people then open up and talk about it. And, and all, most of my books have some handwriting analysis in it. I don't, think that, I don't think the magic question has it in it, but I know the Rich and Happy book has it. Because it's just essential to know where your self-esteem is and if you're introverted and you're extroverted and if you're shy, if you're not. Because basically the premise is most people aren't really happy because fear holds them back. Fear Mm -hmm. of something, fear of trust, fear of intimacy, fear of failure, fear of being made fun of, fear of rejection. And so I thought if I could just get rid of all those fears in my life, I can be be happy. And so anytime I feel fear, like stand-up was one of those things that I wanted to do. I was like, I'm scared of it. I went and did it. Jumping out of an airplane, I went and did it. Scuba diving with sharks, I went and did it. So anything that fear I have fear of, I want to go do it. I, I was young and I was like, you know, you know what? Uh, what I've noticed is is really rich guys have beautiful women all around them. It was pretty obvious. Yeah. And I was dirt poor. My gynecologist and my dad's like, hey, you're cut off. Here's your 81 Buick. Go get a real job. Um, so I had a real job for a couple of years. Really hated that, John. I'll never. I, uh-huh. I have, I'm not really employable at this point in my life. Um, and so I saved all my money uh, and then I wrote a book and then I went on tour. 
And uh, I thought writing a book and getting in a bookstore, I would also be rich. I, I made a mistake. I set my goals to be famous and to, to write a book. And so by the time I was 26, I had been on talk shows, Montel Williams, but I had no money because books yeah. didn't necessarily make money. It was really top of the funnel as far as, as far as how it money goes. So yeah, I kind of, mm -hmm. I, I got a lot of what I wanted, but didn't really get what I want. And so then I had to figure out like how to make money. And so I started consulting, you know, in my twenties with attorneys, but it was a little hard when you're in your twenties to get a job as an expert witness. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it just took a long time. And being a businessman is challenging entrepreneurs challenging raising money's challenging and so all of that goes back to just you know what makes you happy and um you know mm -hmm. freedom and laughter and and the joy was things that, that uh thrilled me how do you take that approach to write a book i mean i've i've thought about that but hell i i wouldn't know you know i mean i know some publishers or whatever but i've i wouldn't know where to start i'm i am a huge fan when you want to do something go hire the best person that is teaching it. I started taking guitar lessons four years ago and I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to watch YouTube videos. I'm going to go hire a professional musician and he's going to teach me every week on Zoom. And that is how mm -hmm. I approach how I approach comedy. I went and found the best comedy teacher and, and now I've got another great comedy teacher. I can be dropped about their names. I hired them. I said, here's what I want to do. Show me, show me the, show me behind the curtains. So when I started mm -hmm. publishing a book, I went and went to a seminar by Dan Pointer on how to self-publish a book. And, you know, that was the self-publishing route I wanted to take. This was back in 93. So, you, you know, you don't have to do it that way anymore. And then I went to a seminar and I made friends with him mm -hmm. and I paid him an hourly mm -hmm. rate to consult with him. So, so if you want mm -hmm. something, you go hire the best and see if you can figure out the map. And, and I think they call it coaching now. That really wasn't a word back then, but it's basically saying you've done it. You've written a book on it. Maybe you can, maybe you can give me shortcuts. And I've been pretty good. Com I'm a pretty comedian now because I have a brilliant coach. And, and because he's mm -hmm. so good, he's a working comedian, he's like, that's a terrible premise. It's never going to work. Kill that idea. And this is going to work. Keep that up. And so really, I, I just pay for good advice. I'm not that smart. They say comedy comes from the darkest places. Where do you pull your comedy from I for that relatability? I don't think it comes to the darkest places. I think one of the one of the Dean, um, Greg Dean, a really good book called Stand Up Comedy. It's a big lime green cover. Um, he, he, he had a premise. He said, look, most comedy, especially for beginners, you start with things you're angry about. Just start mm -hmm. with what pisses me off in my environment, traffic. Well, that's dark, isn't it? Well, I don't know if it's dark. You're angry. It's a little dark. Well, I say dark, but that's coming from like an yeah. emotional place, right? But I think what he was saying was because you're angry about it, it's going to create contrast. And you're going to have a strong opinion about it. And you have a strong frame of reference about it. I think that's was his point. And, and as a beginning comedian, that is true. And when I'm in my best zone of like the Bart Baggett character, I'm actually just mad about things. Like I have, I have a whole bit on dishonesty. I I'm, I got the pleasure of open for Camille uh, and John Cleese in, in, in Las Vegas a couple weeks ago, 500 people. And I did my honesty bit. And the whole premise is I'm mad because everyone is dishonest. Like we have to mm -hmm. live with dishonesty. And so it's sort of a moral, like I'm mad that people are so immoral. And so the whole premise is I'm mad about this thing. And yet within that, you have all these jokes. So, so I think that there is truth to that. that it comes from a dark place or at least he's an angry place. There's not much comedy without contrast. And, mm -hmm. and, and so happy go lucky Hallmark cards aren't funny. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? And so even writing yeah. clean comedy is a lot harder because you're making observational about your kids and the dogs and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's contrast. So the whole essence of humor is set up, distract, and then punchline. So look over here like a magician and then boom, over there, you got to surprise them. And that's why that's why magicians are really really good comedians. I don't know if you've ever realized that, but if you're watching a comedy show, they're great with timing. 
They're terrific and they're funny <laughs> in, in between the acts. And the magicians are great at that. I think they don't get enough credit for how funny they are. Well, it's funny you say that. I, I had Harrison Greenbaum. I don't know if you know Harrison. Very intelligent guy. Um, he was a producer, right? He's a magician. I brought him. I have a venue here that I do some shows at every now and then at the Wanderer. And I brought him in. And he didn't have a big social following. Uh, so I didn't know, but he has a res actually has a residency with, um, Circus Olay in Vegas, uh, where he does his, his act there, but he was amazing. He was a, a great, he was funny as hell, you know, and he sold the fact that he was a, you know, magician, yeah. very funny guy. I don't know if your listeners can ever do this, but if you ever get to LA and you can get a ticket to the magic castle, it's one of the mm -hmm. coolest date nights ever. The coolest go hang with your friends. Cause it's this hundred year old yeah. building right under the hall in Hollywood. You can't get in. It's a private club with a secret door knock. And you know, you have to have a magician invite you and it is a great experience. Okay. And, and everywhere you go, not just the main stage, there's just real musicians just sitting around playing cards, doing their thing at every turn at the bar. And it's a trip. It's, I, don't, I don't know how it still exists. It's such a cool, it's a cool thing. It's a cool LA vibe thing. And it's funny. You're talking about the thing about the truth. I knew you, I was a little bit, might've been a little crazy then a little bit wild. And I was always had the personality to take things to a very high level, right? I always had that personality, even though I was a redneck. You know, Southern guy, redneck, had the Southern accent. But I was able to talk to anybody from a bum on the street to a billionaire. When I finally said, told myself, I says, if I'm going to be successful, I have to be above board 110%. When you say that today, it's almost people don't like the truth. And if, you, if you're too honest with them, they don't want to believe you. So maybe there's some information there that you can add to your bit. It's, um, it's this girl turned me, she goes, can I be totally honest with you? And I said, wait a second. If you had to say that phrase, that means everything you've been saying is a lie. Up to this point, <laughs> it was all a lie. And what's about to get out of your mouth is probably a lie too. So you just said, you're yeah. saying now, starting now, I'm going to be telling lies. Uh-oh, we got a problem there. So, so that, that's, that's, uh, that's a pretty interesting bit. But I think in, so in, because of social media, uh, when you and I are in, in Hollywood, there wasn't, there may have been, there may have been IMDb, but not really. Like we mm -hmm. would literally meet people and not know if they were full of crap or really had access to millions of dollars. We just didn't know. Back mm -hmm. in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And so now you can quickly look at your phone and look on IMDb and see that Bart's got 16 movies or 105 or whatever that somebody has. And you know if they're at least semi-legit. We didn't know it back then. And, and so I think now you have to have a higher level of authenticity because you will get mm -hmm. busted. Like you will get Absolutely. pounded. You know, there's people that were in the closet for 25 years and people in Hollywood knew, but nobody cared. But that, you know, that you just yeah. you have to be transparent, especially if you're going to have a fan base that likes you. And so that's, that's the mm -hmm. thing, especially in my comedy. My books have always been very transparent. Here's my story. And I've been single. I've been married. But in comedy, you, know, you can't really lie. It's not like I'm going to go up there mm -hmm. and, and just make something up that I didn't do. Like I have a bit, which I think I sent you. It's, it's about the, the incels, which is called mm -hmm. involuntary celibate. And so as I was writing this bit, I, I told my comedy teacher, I said, well, I, I made a fake username. I hacked into their chat board and I was one of them. I was trying to get information and I kept making up stuff. He goes, did you really do that? And I go, no, I didn't do that. He goes, then don't put it in your bit. You know, I did hack it and I did watch. I did engage. But he was like, if you didn't do it, don't say it. And I thought that was really interesting because mm -hmm. the audience can sense when you're, when you're lying. And have you ever d done any stuff like situational stuff, like a 
Saturday Night Live type of comedy skits with with content and so forth? No, just feature films. Like the the short film I wrote called Holy Poker was a situational comedy where you had the Pope, L. Ron Hubbard, you had uh, Osho all playing cards, all playing poker. And so it was a a scripted show. And when you're doing a scripted movie, it's not a lot of room for improv. But even Saturday Night Live is not a lot of room for improv. Those are scripts, but they're written the week before on SNL. Mm-hmm. And so when I did improv, mm-hmm. like just improv classes at, you know, the IO and um, those places. Yeah, I got it. I just, I didn't think there was a, there was a path for improv. Like, you know, Drew Carey mm-hmm. made a TV show out of it. But other than that, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's one of those careers that you need to have the fundamentals down, but it was not something that I thought was going to ever pay off for me, but it was fun. I enjoyed it. I mean, improvers are fun to talk to because they always say yes, yes. And yes. And, and they're, they're pleasant. Well, the reason I say that, cause I'm thinking, you know, you're taking a very traditional approach to comedy, right? I took a completely non-traditional approach and, and found a way to, you know, sell a talent with content. And that was started in 2016. So it's like, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about how do we get content out of you, right? Build a following because if you can figure out how to do that with your traditional way of, of getting into comedy and, and having your your stuff on stage down, I think you could really do something. Man, I'm okay. I, I'd love to. So I'll tell you a conversation I have with Nicole Arbor. Nicole is beautiful and she's smart mm-hmm. and she really blew up on Facebook. What I've read about her and, and we had lunch once is she wasn't succeeding in the nightclub circuit. Like she just wasn't making any progress doing the stand-up comedy stuff. Now I am not, I, the reason I'm doing the nightclubs is because I want the skill set. So I think mm-hmm. once I'm comfortable and, and sitting back with John Cleese and these guys, I felt like, okay, I, I'm, I'm good enough to be among these great people, right? And I feel good about that because I put on a lot of work. But I didn't – I had insecurity about being good enough on stage, John. So if I did get that invitation to do that show, I didn't have my chops down three years ago. So that's the reason I took mm-hmm. traditional approach, only because I wanted to make myself terrific at it. That being said mm-hmm. – and now that I know how to write another process, I am absolutely open to doing what Nicole Arbor did, which is says, I don't want to go to the clubs. I'm going to sit here and make really funny videos. And then she blew mm-hmm. up because she's funny and she's pretty and she's witty and she's a good editor. And, and she deserves all the success she, she has. But she did the same thing. She's like, man, this this is a long road, you know, oh, comedy clubs yeah. and comedy owners and that kind of stuff. And and I also decided a long time ago, you know, I was on tour in my 20s. You know, I did, like I said, 1,500 radio interviews, and those are all at 7 in the morning. You had to go to, you know, Louisville, Texas. You had to go to Chicago. You know, you had to go to those places, get up at five o'clock, do the shows. And that was like a touring. I mean, basically, I went from city to city doing my morning radio show, selling books, did that for years. And I was Mm -hmm. like, I'm tired of this, man. I don't want to be a touring comedian. That that sounds exhausting. Part of me says that'd be really fun for six months. But as far as a career, I, I think I think with all my businesses, I like freedom better than just, uh, you know, traveling around to small places. So I probably will do it because I want the skill set, but I don't think it's ever something yeah. I wanted to make a full-time career of touring. And some people love it, man. Jay Leno still tours, Joe Rogan, they're always touring. They love it. They just love it. I'm yeah. not sure if I love it yet as much as I just want to be good at it. <laughs> some of those casinos paid us pretty good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you might want to think about that, those casino no, gigs. I mean, what I'm saying did. is I want this. So I like Russell. So Russell Brand. Uh, who, who, who was mm-hmm. very famous in those movies. You know, he played the rock and roll guy. He kind of went sideways for me for a while because he got real spiritual and meditated and grew out his hair. But now he's back to where yeah. he's funny. He's political. But when he sells a show across England, 
he's not just doing stand up. He does stand up, he yeah. does self help, he does a meditation. And I'm like, that's cool. Because I would love to do comedy yeah. and talk about personality and talk about raising your self esteem and talk about making money. That'd be great to do a show that is not just comedy and not just self help. So may maybe that's the model, mm -hmm. that hybrid model that Russell Brand figured out that I could take over the next few years. But you, you bet. If if you said come to a casino, here's a big bag of money, I'd take my best twenty minutes and I'd go do it. If you said if you said yeah. at sixty minutes, I would spend the next I would spend the next two weeks to figure out which part of my act could fill 60 minutes of good 60 minutes. Like I could do 60 yeah. minutes now, but not Netflix quality 60 minutes. That makes sense. Like there mm -hmm. is over yeah. and over. I heard Joe Rogan say that his latest special, it took him four years and he went through COVID to really work it out and all the, and he goes, and he goes, it's the tightest show I've ever had. Like it's the tightest show. And like four years, you're like, no, it's, it's, it's wild. That, that, the clip I sent you, that was 12 minutes. That was about six weeks of work. It was that 12 minutes wow. that you saw on stage. It was six weeks of work writing. You know, what I found out, even though these seeds of these, you know, your stage content, right? You create these seeds of stage content. I think what happens to comedians is you run through that story, right? Then you run through that story again. You run through that story again. Things starts blossoming. You know, when you start adding tags that can help this little part over here, a tag over here can help this little part over here. And I, I do think that's a progression, but the more tags you can build off the initial right. seed of a, of a stage act, you build those tags. That's when that thing really blooms out and you really get to a place where, Hey, this is, this is all I can do. And this is the best it can be. Cause I, I've blown out every possible angle I could. Yeah. And you're right. And, and those, those tags usually come from performing and then you're like, whoa, that yeah. came to me. That really worked. I mean, I mean, the, the thing yeah. about the, the, the way you get people to fall down laughing, like to the point where their stomach is hurting it and beginning comedians do this, like set up punch guys walk into a bar punchline. Right? So the way that you get that mm -hmm. rolling laughter is your setup is your premise and you just drop callbacks, punches, callbacks, punches in a row, but you got the same setup. And that takes, that takes mm -hmm. a real, work of art to be able to pull that off consistently. Where do you want to go in the next three years? Where do you want to take this? I thing? mean, I, I'm having a blast. Uh, I'm, I, I'm still making movies when they want me to make it. Uh, I'm still learning to be a good comedian. I think, I think it's, I think I want to um, continue to, uh, we've got a TV show. Like I said, that I can't talk about details. If that gets greenlit, then I'll be hosting a really interesting true crime show with a related to handwriting. So I've always want to be back in mm -hmm. the spotlight of some kind of media. Uh, my new podcast is called the Bart show. It's uh, the world's most interesting people, and we've got 13 episodes in the can. And when that launches, I'll do what you're doing, which is sit around and interview fascinating people. And to me, that's a dream job. I remember when I was you know, doing so much radio, um, at some point, I don't know if you know the story. This is how I ended up moving to L.A. I was on Friday night radio, uh, like getting my chops down. Like we had an overnight show every Friday night on a FM talk show here in Dallas. And it was a talk show. It was all 100% talk. So it was like Howard Stern show, right? So we had five hours. And mm -hmm. by about the 13 yep. to 14 week, we had figured out how to make the phones ring, how to get good guests. Like there was a whole process to doing radio. And I think about it now, podcasts are very similar to morning radio shows. They're, they're just a little bit, mm -hmm. a little bit slower and you get a lot of people with their head. But Howard Stern, the way he did that radio show was like the first reality show. And so that's, that's a lot yeah. of what podcasts have always thought that would be really fun. And, um, the, I'll finish up that story is, was we're doing a good, good job on the show. We had a, a remote show, uh, in Vegas and the next morning, the guys that did the golf show, none of their control panels would work. 
I don't know what happened. Somebody unplugged something, but we got blamed for it. <laughs> we got fired. Yeah. <laughs> Just fired. Just fired. Oh, okay. So I got on a plane the next morning. I went out and did this interview with Lisa Renee. Lisa Rennie. Is her name Rennie? Is it Renee or Lisa Rennie? She's got the big lips. Yeah, Lisa yeah. But, but she, she's, yes. yeah. Her husband's super cool. I was on this soup show doing this hand analysis, and I was in L.A. I was driving a convertible. I was on TV, and I was like, I'm not going back to Texas. I'll give it a go, man. What could possibly go wrong? And I just moved. I just moved and said, you know what? I'm 33 years old. Uh, I don't. I know I'm probably never going to be a star, but what the heck? You know what? It's because I yeah. don't want to have regrets. So I don't mind failing. Yeah. I fail all the time, but I mind having regrets and not doing something is is a really uh, painful thing. Wondering what if? What if, what, what if I'd have tried being in movies? What if I'd have tried comedy? What if I'd what if I'd talk to that pretty girl or didn't talk to that pretty girl? So I, I have a very few regrets in my life. And how long had you, when I met you, how long had you been in it? I think I made it 2007, 2003 is when I, when I made the big shift. Yeah. So you had been there four years and um, you always had some interesting parties. I'll say yeah, that. Yeah, I had a fun roommate and um, <laughs> yeah, there was some really fun parties. I've got to hand it to you. You always had some good looking girls around. I was like, how the hell does this son of a bitch pulling these women? I, 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 like, I am an extrovert and um, because I'm an extrovert, yeah. you know, I generally learned how to make people entertain and be funny. And so, so it wasn't that all of yeah. them wanted to date me. I, I would, I would say that's not the case at all, but, but I did have uh, one of my best friends is gay, which means he always surrounded by beautiful women. <laughs> and so it was just, it was a lot yeah. of fun. I, I, I always want to tell you is, is I got to LA. Uh, I luckily I ended up with an, a, a great manager. I'm still with, I auditioned 101 times before anybody hired wow. me. Remember, I had a cool day job as a forensic handwriting expert. To me, going to an audition mm -hmm. was fun. It, you know, I got out of the house. I lived in Hollywood. 101 times, like, was I that untalented? Like, it just it, it just was so hard. I was like, I can't, this is, and we're talking about two lines, national commercials, movies. Like, how could I not get two lines correct? Because you know they're calling me in because yeah. I look right for the part. And then something happened. Um, I walked out of audition for Five Hour Energy. It may not be the first one, but something happened. And I go, is that it? He goes, yeah, you did perfect. I go, I didn't, didn't feel like I was acting at all. And he goes, that's exactly right. You did great. And I got that role. And it was a national commercial. And everybody, all my friends in high school saw me in this five-hour energy commercial, thought I was a truck driver. They were like, dude, um, you drive a truck now? I go, were you an idiot? It's called acting. Go, You're an actor? And then one person goes, hey, man, I saw your fat brother on TV. What? Because I would gained a lot of weight. <laughs> It wasn't my fat yeah, brother, it was yeah, me. Yeah. And so I, within yeah. like two month period, I had two national commercials, a bunch of movies, because I finally figured out how to audition and do it right. But what I'm saying is just because I wrote a yeah. book, just because I was funny, just because I had had a radio show does not mean those skills translated into something as simple as auditioning. And the same way, if I'm mm -hmm. funny in movies or I'm funny at a party, it doesn't translate to being on stage. And there's there's so many, yeah. and, and it might have been Tina Fey that said, and it could have been the other person, really, really great writers. She's like, I tried stand-up once. I don't know how you do it. It was a disaster. But she's a brilliant writer, and she's funny in every mm -hmm. possible box, but she's like, I couldn't do that. So every little art, when you guys see a professional, roller skater, or ice skater, or basketball player, if they're a pro, it always looks so effortless, right? It looks so easy. And when not a pro, it's just it's just a train wreck. And so, so those subtle skills of shifting from one to other are surprisingly difficult. And luckily, I'm a persistent SOB. I didn't have kids at home. I didn't have a wife at home. I could afford to fail consistently, and I'm not one to give up. 
So I think resilience, and again, I'm not a famous actor, and I don't think anyone's going to pay me $100 million to be in a film. I mean, someday they might. I don't know. But I still was doing it for me and because I had goals, and I was not going to give up. And it ended up you know, having a really fun career. Now, didn't you do something – uh, on some show, I saw you something about the, with the Zodiac Killer. They interviewed. You yeah, I, I, there was that a couple of things. I think that did. was America's Most Wanted. And when I tell girls I was on America's Most Wanted, I have to clarify I was not a criminal on that show. I was not being hunted by the <laughs> FBI. That, that I had to clarify that. Yeah. Um, so no, I was talking about Zodiac because yeah. they had the movie had came out and they had got. I thought the movie they had got the wrong conclusion based on the handwriting. There was no similarities with how the movie, the feature film ended up. I think Jake Gyllenhaal was in it. And so I was interviewed that, but I've done tons of TV and radio and, and uh, CNN and criminals and that kind of stuff. That's always a lot of fun. Uh, we did my, uh, Michael Jackson. I held um, for this Australian show. I held a book that Michael Jackson had written in, and it was sort of like a book that had little boys photographs and stuff. And John, I got to tell you, man, I'm yeah. not psychic. Yeah. Like that was creepy. Emotionally, really? I was like, this is creepy. And so I confirmed it was his handwriting. It was definitely his handwriting. It was original. It was in pencil and pen. And, and so that was my story saying, hey, this is handwriting. But I got to tell you, that was the first time I kind of got creeped out by like an authentic piece of memorabilia because I'm like, ooh, this is, this is not, this is not for straight people. This book is, is overtly like sensual and it was, it was creepy. You think he was gay and he just lived, uh, lived behind the wall per se his you whole know, life? I, I don't really have a strong opinion. Uh, based on that interview in that book, there was some, there was some kind of fascination with kids. And my theory is from his handwriting is he's massively traumatized, has a lot of like introverted qualities. And when you're an introvert, you don't have to process emotions. I think also because of his age mm -hmm. when he was famous, his his childhood was taken away from him. I, I don't think he had playtime. I don't yeah. think he had cuddle time. So I think he I think a lot of that affection for children was just him trying to relive childhood. But as far as whether he had anything sexual, um, I just don't know. I, the book when you look at that book that I saw, and if it was authentic, which I believe it was, there was something very the word is idolized, but something sensual about little boys bodies that you and i wouldn't wouldn't find it we, we we would be kind of grossed out by it but he was enthralled by it so there must have been something there but you know i don't want to disparage his name he was a fabulous musician and um you know interesting guy and and died way too young so if you're making the corporations a lot of money you know it's uh that's a very interesting road if you will but what is what does bart do when he's not thinking about entertaining or what does Bart do to relax? What is, what is he doing? Like being a normal guy? I hear you got a cat. My, over my there. cat is very jealous. So I have this new, I have a new fear about my cats uh -huh. and my girlfriends is, is they have anxiety attachment disorder. And so the cat must've left his mom a little too early or her mom. So now she's like really nervous. Like when I come home and so she's extra affectionate, which I like, but you know, there's also this neediness. So every time I don't have a zoom phone call, the cat has to come and interrupt me. And if I film an audition, sure enough, she's at my feet in the moment I hit the right line and I got to redo it. Um, so, so I got a cat. I've got, uh, I work out. I watch way too much Netflix. I'm a huge movie aficionado. I've been watching Stranger Things. Um, I've been writing. Writing is a, takes a lot of time. Like writing comedy is hard work. It feels like work to me now. It's not really that much fun. Um, and, um, you know, I go to LA and, and I hang out with comedians. I would say that's fun. And I date, you know, I, I'm not married. So I still have the freedom to do 
fun things like, you know, fly around the world, different people. I really, I, before COVID, I, I traveled a lot, like a scuba dive. I would go to Belize with my buddies in the Cayman Islands and we'd go scuba diving. I just, I just love that. Uh, just spending time with my friends. I mean, my life has changed a little bit since you knew me. I became a Reiki practitioner. I would not have spotted you as a Reiki practitioner. <laughs> I mean, naturally. I mean, I don't practice Reiki, but this is something that just showed up. Like I have, you know, this, you know, energy coming out of my hands. I have a friend that's a massage therapist to the stars. And she says, the reason that I keep going back and they keep paying me so well is I'm not just doing a massage, I'm healing them. And so she's yeah. got something in her hands. Her clients are like, whenever you touch me, like, ah, boom, like I feel so much healthier. So, so there's gotta be something to it. I can't do it. I give them my finger on it, but, but there is something. I remember she was touching me in some way and I was like, whoa, that's, that's cool. Like, how did you do that thing? So I, I'm also open to anything I can't explain. I mean, it's not like I, yeah. I, I do or do not believe in that kind of stuff. Yeah. Are you, did you write any books? Did you do a TED talk? Did you know I did a TEDx talk, uh, which which has like half a million views? Uh, really? It's, it's called the Neuro Pathway to Happiness. Okay. So like the pathway to happiness, but through your brain, through your thoughts, mm -hmm. your belief systems, your questions, your handwriting. And one of the stories I tell is my friend Sam Botta was one of the top voiceover guys in LA. Car accident, head on crash, and he yeah. lost his. He luckily lived, but he couldn't speak. Mm -hmm. His head injury, right? And I had him take his hand and write figure eights with a pen and pencil. And he did it yeah. every day for four weeks and his ability to speak came back. Wow. And he's like, he's like, you got to take this to all the hospitals. Amazing. I said, look, no one's going to believe that, that handwriting and movements restart the neural pathways in your brain, but they mm -hmm. do, they start neural pathways. And so that was one of the stories I told in the Ted talk and people, man, people send me emails from all the world. Like that Ted talk is so good. Really amazing. Like I, you know, I want to change my handwriting. And again, it's only one piece of the puzzle. Handwriting is not, it, it's people think I'm the handwriting guy, but it really hasn't defined me. It's just been a window into what makes people tick. And if yeah. you know what makes yourself tick, you can then fix the ticking if it's ticking not right. And so that's one reason I'm really happy and joyful is I have read all the books and I have fixed the things that I need to fix. And I used to have a low self-esteem and I used to have a fear of rejection. And now I don't. Well, it's funny you say that kind of the whole social media thing program I developed, right? By discovery, didn't know anything. I, re I reversed engineered everything, right? And then I developed this concept called finding a perfect audience. And it all has to do with sensitivities. And it's so simple and it's linear. It could be linear to anything and everybody and people having a hard time like how how does this work uh you know because well, that's your secret sauce you don't tell them how it works well yeah exactly exactly but i will say this techbullion.com um, in London, England, just put it out in a publication. It's in 39 publications around the world. And it's just all about human behavior because a lot of people don't realize that social media is really sensitivities. And if you understand those sensitivities and you have big enough numbers, you can predict human behavior. Uh, and that's me spending 12 hours, me yeah. becoming a, a partner with Meta. So it's a very, wow. it's what you're talking about is a very similar deal because it's sensitivities, right? And understanding where those sensitivities trigger certain things to predict an outcome, right? Well, you and I must love sociology books and, and you know, uh, Malcolm Gladwell and that kind of stuff is amazing. But but one of the things that you're talking about is you have this, this model, this gift. You're like, oh, it's kind of simple. You do this and this. What's simple to you is literally the hardest thing that will help other people. And yeah. so sometimes I look at business models and, you know, and I say, well, oh, this is a funnel, do this. And they're like, how'd you know that? I'm like, well, it's just a system, but it's easy for me, but yeah. I've been doing internet marketing since 1995, right? Yeah. So I can look at stuff and do it really, really quickly. 
you you are i think you're you're being humble the system yeah. you created is brilliant and now that you see it very linearly you're like oh this is anybody should do this but they can't and they won't and they didn't figure it out yet so yeah, yeah so that's your secret sauce and get paid for that and help other people find their audiences that, that's that's what i would do the thing is is when i did this with talent right i didn't realize how much value this had in brick and mortar right because oh, yeah because if if you know, brick and mortar is so far behind the times because I think everybody will start one day will start communicating with content, right? That's how the whole world's going to communicate. Well, we, we pretty much do it now. We communicate with content. When I developed a TV show, right? Spend a year of my life. And then you go to this network and there's 20 people in the room says it's a piece of shit. You know what? Been there. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? But why? And they don't even really understand the sensitivities of real life because you got five people in there that may have been an intern and now they're running the network. Right. So they're somewhat environmentally stuck in a mindset and, and have no relatability to what real life is about. And that's when you see a lot of bad things on TV, right? Take that over to the business world. You have fractional information coming into all these businesses because they didn't do things the right way and they're wasting a lot. And I think I came up with this scenario because we've hit that ceiling and everything needs a reset. I, I think you find a real good, the same people that buy Russell uh, Brunson's ClickFunnels, that type of audience, I think would be ad agencies. There's, there's a lot of people who sell coaching programs. They need to really evaluate that. I, I had my head in a couple of uh, video campaigns the last couple of days. We spend thousands of dollars on AdWords. And the problem with even AdWords, which I, we've now had, we probably spent a million dollars in that platform alone with this one business. Um, we don't know what part of our money is wasted. Mm -hmm. We know we have to spend this much money and we get this many phone calls, right? And this much, but we don't know. We know a lot of those clicks are not the right customers. And so mm -hmm. after many, many years, we can call down with negative keywords and it becomes, it becomes very useful. So I really like that platform. If you're talking about something like that, it has to be able to apply to a small business owner so they can say, how, how can we get to the point faster where we can spend this money and know that those are the right customers consuming our content and then raise their hand and buy something? And so, so you're, you're kind of on the theoret theoretical level. Once you get it down into more of a package level, maybe it becomes a course. Maybe it becomes a seminar or a training or a certification program. Here's the rub, right? When you determine your foundation and you know the sensitivities, I call it the tools in a toolbox. And I also learned this in comedy, selling tickets. So if you take one act over here, has a 50-50 fan base, 50% male, 50% female. And you have this one over here has 90% female, 10% male. Same level of talent and they take a marketing approach the same way with each talent. And what they didn't realize was I know that a 25 to 34 year old female is the biggest responder online and will react immediately to buying tickets. Males wait longer, right? Males wait longer. So when you go and you have talent, how many people has the industry missed? Talent was the same, but they didn't approach how to market the right way. So how many of the 50, 50 people did they miss because of the response time? of the tools in the toolbox. Cause I found out too, that the number one avatar in the world was a 32 year old female that makes 40 to $60,000 a year. Is that accurate or that's just what all the ad agencies use? No, that's, that's what I discovered. Oh, you discovered. discovered this is I discovered. If we mark our, our products to this woman, we have a higher chance of hitting because there is a lot of those women. And females are the biggest responders online. So put that in business perspective. You buy 
based on the tools in the toolbox. That's going to save you costs. That's where you determine your cost savings right there. I, I, I would be interested to know if that holds true with both uh, our consulting business because we got you got a lot of older clients with with uh, lawyers, and then with comedy, I don't know if thirty four year old women find me funny. We'll find out. I, I know I've dated a few, and they've laughed at a few of my jokes. But we'll, well have to even, do a well, even to find if out. even if it's a fifty fifty deal, you just got to know how to sell yourself. You know, like if the response is not what do you think it is. Just understand who's responding instead of having those knee-jerk reactions. Well, that, that's so great. Well, I, I did a, I did a bit in San Antonio, and the entire audience uh, was black. And and I said I did the same set that I did in in North Dallas. Again, very mixed crowd, but but just a different crowd. And it was really hard. And and they didn't laugh at the same things. And and it and I and I didn't think the material was bad because I tested it elsewhere. So you're totally right. Depending on the audience, they're going to respond differently based on their belief systems, their upbringing, their whether they watch the news. And and so I haven't traveled enough, like to the East Coast or New York, or to know if my style of comedy really works. I do know that when I was doing radio when I was 23. The New mm -hmm. York Boston stations didn't want to book me because I had a Southern accent. Mm -hmm. So I got rid of my Southern accent so that I would be more approachable to the Northeastern quadrants of the country because I didn't want to sound like George Bush. Nobody wants to talk like that guy. So well, it's very Yeah. I mean, well, here's the key to that. If you take, start creating content, you build your audience, you start headlining where you can sell 120 tickets a show. That's what the club owners want. Right. You build your audience because you're conveying a certain tone. You build your own audience. When you set up these shows, they're coming to see you specifically, and you don't have to worry about that. Man, I like that. Sign me up, sir. <laughs> you know what I mean? I may have to turn this TV show down just because I'm making so much money with John. Awesome. Well, let's wrap it up. Hey, if anybody wants to check me out, I'm at Bart Baggett, B-A-R-T-B-A-G-G-E-T-T, -E at Instagram. Um, if you want my books, I'd love you to go buy them, but you don't have to. There's a website called Get Bart's Book. Mm -hmm. getbartsbook.com you can download the magic question the rich and happy book i think it's getbartsbook slash rich um but yeah it's fun man go go get those books get on our email list we'll be doing a lot of content the the bart show's coming out with the podcast just like this one is be i'm an interesting uh maybe you'll come back and do my show john yeah, i think absolutely. you are you are one of the more interesting people in the world i think you can steadily sustain <laughs> the headline to that i appreciate that i mean i think you're very, a highly intelligent person and you should give yourself more credit for that, you know, than, and give yourself more value. Keep building value in yourself because you've been va building value a long time, but I appreciate you coming on the show and we'll stay in touch. And uh, Bart Baggett, ladies and gentlemen, I'm John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 